Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. Hey, here we go at uh, episode 32, non-fungible tokens. Actually, you misspelled fungible. Oh, oops. You know, <laughs> did I do the thumbnail on the streaming wrong as well? Uh, Let me see. I didn't notice, but I noticed that fungible was misspelled. It's fungiblin. Oh, no. Hey, we're talking about non-fungible tokens. Let me fix this real quick. Let me change it. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, we're talking... It's, it's just a fascinating thing that has been happening here uh, that people are jumping on board. People are getting on in, into the into the space. It is. And uh, I think non uh, today what we're going to do is just sort of talk about. Oh, no. What the hell? I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't believe I misspelled it. I just do these things right when I get going and. I do the same thing. Get going real fast, and it's easy to overlook things. Yeah, and then you look like an idiot, but it's like, I know how non-fungible tokens are spelled. Let me change this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I did it. It's just easy to make mistakes, you know, when you're going fast. Yeah. Um, all right, so here's my plan. I think this is a good way to do it. I have uh, the Wikipedia pulled up. I have that Verge article that we both read pulled up. Yeah. Uh, talk about Kings of Leon and then look at exchanges and then oh, I might pull up one more video also that I saw yesterday. He's just a famous YouTuber. He does the news. His name is Phil DeFranco. But he talked about NFTs yesterday and he shared some of his own ideas about where it could go. And I think that that uh, would be interesting to watch and discuss. So those are that's what I have lined up. Sound good? Sounds great. Sounds really great. I mean, we could do so many things like what is it? Uh, where's it going? How's it used? How would you do it? What does it mean to the to the customer? What does it mean to the to the provider? Uh, there's so many so many perspectives. Uh, what and I think a big thing to think about is what business could you build off of this technology? Right. Because we were talking about that yesterday. Like, well, we should build. Uh, a marketplace. Well, if you look, there's a lot of marketplaces. A lot of people are getting in the game. Uh, and a lot of generalized marketplaces. Like, we want to be the eBay or Amazon of NFTs. But this is where you go to make an NFT. A lot of people are trying to be that right now. But a lot of times what succeeds or what can make you a lot of money is not to join the gold rush. It's to be the Levi Strauss over on the side selling... Uh, canvas jeans to everyone that's going to mine gold. And so you never even touch a piece of gold, but you can make money off of the gold rush. So uh, taking a look at that and sort of examining some ideas of how that may play out, I think is a good source of discussion today because it never hurts to get start started talking about technologies when they're in their infancy. Sometimes they may pan out, sometimes they're not. If this was 2016, we might be having this conversation about VR, and you do not see VR as a ubiquitous technology five years later. But people are saying that's the next thing. VR is the next thing. Well, it wasn't. But that doesn't mean that in 20 years, VR might not be the thing. I think that a lot of things with... Uh, we watched a video last night on the boosted board and its decline. And do you remember why it declined or the, the reasons for its decline? It was capital intensive, and they kept having uh, mechanical problems, and it was hard to adjust. It was hard to uh, uh, scale up because it was too expensive. So, they kept getting investors and losing the money. So I, I see that with VR as well. VR is very capital intensive. And if you give someone a headset and you say pay $900 for this, and it's a use case where you can play games for an hour a day before you get nauseated. <laughs> and then in a year, there's going to be a much better headset on the market. It's difficult. That's a difficult sell. I think that they found, you know, do you remember when you were kids and we got a PlayStation? When I was kids and we got a PlayStation? That was 1997, 98. I don't know. So yeah. they're on PlayStation 5 now. The PlayStation 5 is out. So if you look, that's 23 years 
five. So basically, once every four or five years, they'll release a new PlayStation. Well, you can stomach that cost. It's three or four hundred bucks. I think the PlayStation Three was expensive. It was like six hundred bucks. But you you paid the three hundred bucks four years ago. You forgot that you paid it. You want the new one. The problem with technology like phones or VR headsets is that it's so at the cutting edge that you need a new one each year. And with a phone, you use it every day, all day. So you're like, oh, it's only been two years and I have to pay another 700 bucks. Sure, why not? But with a VR headset, it's like, oh, that thing that makes me nauseous after I use it for 30 minutes? Uh, well, yeah, let me just shell out another grand and hope that it's better this time. I, I think that people don't want to do that. But also for the entrepreneurs, making it is a huge investment in research and development. And since it's a physical product, there's a lot of capital involved. It's capital intensive. Now with NFTs as a entrepreneurial conduit, I don't think it's all that capital intensive. If you build user experiences and structures based on the internet for people, it might be a, a source of entrepreneurship that's lasting. Yeah, especially if you provide a service uh, that uses the technology. So it's not really capital intensive because you're using other people's uh, capital intensive technology, mm -hmm. uh, like the internet, you know. And the Ethereum uh, blockchain. And the Ethereum blockchain. Because it's, well, I've, we, we haven't even explained. I, we're assuming that everyone, I guess we're just talking between us because we know what a, NFTs are. Well, well I a think of, what I was trying don't. to say is like NFTs exist. On the internet and software, they're digital. They're completely digital. Now, as an entrepreneurial venture, a lot of times what you want is a physical product, like the boosted board or like a VR headset. So I think there is some advantage to a product being completely digital. Like if you take the internet giants, Apple's a hardware company, but Microsoft, Google, and Facebook, they're... They started off as software companies. I mean, Microsoft, and they all make hardware now. But So their initial product, you know, Google, the web had been a thing for five, ten years, by when Google came around the late 90s. And search engines were a thing, too. And they said, how can we do this better? And they became the dominant search engine. Social media sites were a thing when Facebook came around in the early 2000s. And they said, okay, people are building social media sites on the Internet. How do we do it better? Is there a way to do that with NFTs? And I think in order to address that issue, we should begin by looking into what are NFTs? How does that sound? Sounds fine. Okay, here we go. I'll read this. Uh, a non-fungible token is a special type of cryptographic token, which represents something unique. Non-fungible tokens are thus not mutually interchangeable. This is in contrast to cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and many network or utility tokens that are fungible in nature. That is to say, you can change one Bitcoin for a different Bitcoin. A non-fungible token rep represents something that you can't trade for something else. And that's why it works for art. So people are selling non-fungible tokens as art. Um, or it's, it's, like, it's like one of a kind. Mm -hmm. It's one of a kind. Of, that's non-fungible. Fungible means they're all the same. It doesn't matter if you know you have a piece of bread or from well, like a dollar one store or the, or, the, or a dollar. Dollars is an excellent example. Oh, where'd you get that dollar from? I don't know, but it's a dollar, mm -hmm. and I can use it. it. Doesn't matter where it came from. So the source doesn't matter. Uh, the, the the way it was developed it doesn't does matter, but the value of it is is fungible. It can be passed. It, it, it's uh, equally valuable. With all the dollars, mm -hmm. they're equally valuable. Non-fungible means that dollar is special. Uh, so that's the that's the non-fungible part of it, yep. which is very interesting. Commodities, by tech, by by uh, definition, are fungible. Uh, that's a fungible is a is a characteristic of commodities, uh, but these are not commodities. Uh, these are unique products uh, that cannot be exchanged for another product of like value. They have value unto themselves. Uh, you can create that value. Uh, and I guess that's what we're, get, that's what we're getting into. Uh, and that creating the uniqueness of the value 
is these NFT uh, infrastructures, which I think is really interesting. So let's talk about applications. This is just the Wikipedia. Non-fungible tokens are used to create verifiable digital scarcity, as well as digital ownership, and the possibility of asset interoperability across multiple platforms. NFTs are used in several specific applications that require unique digital items, like crypto art, digital collectibles, and online gaming. Art was an early use case for NFTs and blockchain in general because of its ability to provide proof of authenticity and ownership of digital art that has otherwise had to contend with the potential for mass reproduction and unauthorized distribution of art through the internet. In February 2021, a hype started when U.S. American digital artist Beeple's work, Every Days, the first 5,000 days, was the first NFT artwork to be listed in one of the major auction houses, Christie's. A few days before, the meme animation Nyan Cat had been sold on an internet marketplace for $600,000. Now, let's take a look at this paragraph and just say, when is all this happening? February 2021. (laughs) Yeah. And then this Nyan Cat was a few days before. This is all happening now. And that's why it's in the the public... That's why it's in the public consciousness. That's why it's in the news, because I think NFTs have been around for years. But people are starting to say, the rich people are starting to say, where do I spend my money? And it's like, well, I've already, you know, bought a yacht and a fancy car and I have several homes. Why don't I start buying digital tokens of art? So this is a big one. Later, popular blockchain games like CryptoKitties made use of NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. NFTs have also been used to represent in-game assets, which are controlled by the user instead of the game developer. This lets these assets be traded on third-party marketplaces without permission from the game developer. So imagine if by playing Fortnite, you play, you can either give them your credit card and you get V-Bucks. Then you get V-Bucks to buy skins. Well, imagine if instead of getting V-Bucks... Uh, or instead of buying skins with V-Bucks, you bought it with a non-fungible token. I don't know. It's it's tough to wrap your head around the implications. Just to think of NFTs, like because if it's V-Bucks, then it's basically fungible, right? Yes, but it's only it's only valuable within that within that space. Mm-hmm. So that space is putting value on that because they. They have the product and they can create the currency. Okay, so they're creating that your currency within that space, and they they have the product, so they have control of it, and so uh, they they can monitor they can monitor it. But the NFTs uh, are tokens, and so the, the tokens will have value, but the non fungible nature of it is that it becomes more valuable because it's unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the value could be dollar value, uh, but then again, the value also could have other types of value too. That within a certain space, uh, uh, you can Venmo something, and then all of a sudden that Venmo begins to grow. Translating that to dollars uh, could be uh, a whole different type of exchange. In other words, we're we're moving into areas that I guess before. Uh, uh, Theoretical economists have understood currency and exchange values between different nations, but now they're doing it within not just between different countries and different currencies. Now they're doing it within a certain industry and within a, within a product because we're moving from the physical space to the digital space. I find this really interesting. And, and David, it's not going away. That's why we're talking about it. It's going to be here. It's not going away. The interesting thing it's to going me, to it's going to change. It's going to change and morph, but it's not going away. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing to me is the NFTs. It's built on the Ethereum blockchain. You can attach digital assets to it. So we'll get into Kings of Leon in a minute. I'll I'll just read this paragraph, and then we'll read the last paragraph. But okay, 
because uh, this is some more growth. In June of 2017, CryptoPunks were released as the first non-fungible token on the Ethereum blockchain by American studio Larva Labs, a two-person team consisting of Matt Hall and Josh Watkinson. In late 2017, another project called CryptoKitties was released and went viral and subsequently raised a $12.5 million investment. Rarebits, a non-fungible token marketplace and exchange, raised a $6 million investment. GameDex, a collectible card game platform made possible by NFTs, raised an $800,000 seed round. Decentraland, a blockchain-based virtual world, raised $26 million in an initial coin offering and had a $20 million internal economy as of September 2018. Nike holds a patent for its blockchain-based NFT sneakers called CryptoKicks. And I heard that Nike was verifying the authenticity of real-world uh, sneakers with non-fungible tokens. So your purchase of very rare sneakers, Nike makes 100 pairs of Yeezys or, or Jordans, if, just to make you know the normie crowd understand more. You make 100 pair of special Jordans. And when you purchase those, you also purchase an NFT. And there's only 100 NFTs. And that's sort of like your certificate of authenticity. Because Nike knows for a fact that someone can go out and buy leather and shape it to look like the Jordan, but no one can reproduce that NFT. It's cryptographically protected. It's unique. Fascinating, huh? It's protected because of the blockchain. Mm -hmm. The blockchain can't be, can't be hacked. I mean, uh, and so your authenticity is tied to the blockchain. The blockchain, uh, the whole idea of the blockchain is that uh, it has uh, security. Mm -hmm. it, it has security built in, so you can't, you can't undermine it. And so if you have the token for that, for that product, like your Nike shoe, uh, then that is your shoe. You have a token. And uh, they probably say, hey, I have a token for this shoe. Uh, where's your shoe? Uh, it's worn out, but I got a token of it. I, I had one. I owned one. I think less about being worn out because these people, like for the limited runs, they don't wear the shoes. They keep them mm -hmm. as a museum piece. So if 50 years from now, someone said, this is an official Jordan 2021 X, the most exclusive shoe of 2021. And someone says, okay, well, do you have the NFT to transfer with the physical object. And they say, no. And it's like, well, then I can't validate that it's real. So I don't want it. I don't want the physical object unless you have its certificate of authenticity, which will be the non-fungible token. Because right. shoes can be counterfeited, NFTs can't. Or at least not by any technology we currently have. Actually, it just popped into my head. Uh, that's, that's part of the uh, uh, Pawn Stars show. Mm -hmm. You've seen Pawn Stars. They would say, well, you know, you know, are you sure this signature is really Abraham Lincoln's signature? You know, oh, this is a letter. OK. And they have all, enough to, to, to corroborate that. Yeah, that is his signature. But an NFT, non-fungible token, because of the security of the blockchain, it's going to be established. There's no question. Mm -hmm. And so whatever you have. And so I guess we're going to go from physical products to digital products, aren't we? Yes. Um so this is the big story that got it on my radar just earlier this week. The album When You See Yourself by Kings of Leon will be the first musical album distributed as non-fungible token. Bam. And then in February 2021, the musician Grimes, who's also Elon Musk's girlfriend, sold $6 million worth of digital art on Nifty Gateway. So she needs the money. Uh, <laughs> and then you... We're doing some Googling yesterday. You started telling me about this. This is fascinating. Dapper Labs, in partnership with NBA, the, the National Basketball Association, when I say NBA, I mean the National Basketball Association, you might have heard of it, launched a beta version of their NBA Top Shot collectible and tradable NFT-based app in the first half of 2020, which they've been working on for two years, since 2018. It sells tokens in packs and say they contain multimedia, so like clips of NBA games, and data smashed together, so maybe digital art. On October 1st, 2020, it was announced that they had exited beta and opened to all fans. 
as of February 28th, 2021, note the date because it is currently March 5th. This is five days ago. Dapper Labs reported over $230 million gross sales in the app. So it allows people that love the NBA to go to an official digital shop and buy digital assets that are vouchsafed by the blockchain and by the NBA itself. Now, I find that fascinating because I do see, you know, art, like people collect art and they'll pay outrageous prices for art. So they'll pay outrageous prices for digital art. But this sort of proves that anything someone's passionate about could theoretically be a vehicle for creating NFTs. I don't see it as a too big of a stretch for to have Star Wars NFTs before long. Do you want me to pull up a link? Yeah, pull up that the non-fungible token uh, list of marketplaces. Uh, just just to spin off of this NBA, uh, the NBA it's an NBA marketplace. What they have. So there's the top marketplaces, and you can see the traders, uh, and also the volume. And notice number one is the NBA Top Shot. Fascinating. So then it, then it starts then it starts going down. So they're out there, but the thing of it is, is they've moved from physical products uh, to digital products. It's very interesting. Um, so you're right. This was like five days ago. So all so there's four million dollars a day going through NBA Top Shot. That's pretty impressive. OpenSea is the one that, oh, I got to unclose the chat. Hold on, or else you'll be out of frame. There we go. OpenSea is the one that Kings of Leon has built their, uh, their album on. And we'll get to that. Oh, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, CryptoPunks is one of the first ones. And the one that Grimes sold hers on, Nifty Gateway, that's not even in the top 12. Fascinating, huh? Yes. So we're going to get to OpenSea in a minute. Uh, but maybe I'll show you the Philip DeFranco because this is, we're still in the explanation phase. We're not in the application phase just yet. Okay. But, but I want to play this video. I'll get to it. Ah. You know, the more that I look around, And then let's talk about NFTs. I'm going to start with a story, and then I'm, I'm going to kind of tell you what I, I think about them. So tomorrow, Kings of Leon will become one of the first bands in history to release an album as an NFT, Can't hear aka it. Oh. a non-fungible token. And while NFTs have actually existed for a little while now, they've been popping up more and more in the news. All right? Maybe you've seen some of the headlines, like Grimes selling six million dollars worth of NFTs. Can you hear it now? Art. You also have creators like Logan Paul, yeah. who first sold five million dollars worth of NFTs last month, before then raking in another eight hundred eighty thousand dollars from NFT sales. And with this news, understandably, you have many people confused and when you're confused you have people asking okay are these creators including logan paul scamming their fans what is an nft what are these things i mean for example if you look at a sales page for logan paul some of his nfts are public clips of pokemon card pulls with some of them selling for up to twenty thousand dollars with their descriptions reading total mint of three nfts for this moment this product represents digital ownership of the nft video of this moment only this does not represent ownership in a card a physical asset or of the youtube video right so ownership of the moment but but not actually like the, the copyright of the video and so if you're still like, okay, but what the hell is an NFT? But before going into what I think they can be, you have places like The Verge trying to explain it by saying, non-fungible more or less means that something's unique and can't be replaced with something else. For example, a Bitcoin is fungible. Trade one for another Bitcoin and you'll have exactly the same thing. However, a minted moment within a clip, for example, is non-fungible because you can't trade it for the exact same moment. And going on to say, NFTs can really be anything digital, such as drawings, music, your brain downloaded and turned into an AI. But a lot of the current excitement is around using the tech to sell digital art, right? And so in that sense, a lot of people see NFTs as sort of a collector's item. But where things get a lot more controversial and where a lot of the skepticism comes from is the fact that with digital files, pretty much anyone can find a way to access or view them, right? For example, the Logan Paul NFTs, whether it be the little Pokemon card, people can see that image, or uh, the video, you can actually find that video on YouTube. And the way that we're seeing NFT believers kind of trying to frame the situation is in terms of, let's say, a, a physical art collection, right? They have the argument of anyone can buy a Monet print, but only one person can own the original. And so looping back around to Kings of Leon releasing their new album as an NFT, it's being seen 
as a collector's item. Right, it'll be available for two weeks, but no more NFTs of the album will ever be made. However, at the same time, this album will also be released tomorrow in places like Spotify and Apple Music. Right, because once again, the, the final product, the actual music itself is not exclusive, but the NFT is. Which, I know that sentence makes sense to some and just seems completely ridiculous to others. Which is why I will say I'm somewhat conflicted. As far as NFTs in the art space, it is 100% having a moment and to see artists actually making money directly, I will always be happy. I don't, I don't know if there is a genuine future in it, but it makes me happy to see artists getting paid. Though I will say every day we see another story, like for example, the famous auction house Christie's. They're selling an NFT, a digital piece of artwork that was exclusively minted for them. I believe the current bid is at $3.5 million with about a week left. Right, every day we see another story like that. It adds to the legitimacy, the, the potential future for this to be a continued avenue for artists. But, and I'll preface this as I'm not a financial advisor or any blah, 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 blah stipulations. Use your own mind. Where I do see NFTs being very interesting is if they can have a utility. Let's say, for example, you go to a live event, you had to pay for a ticket, or you're part of a, a membership service that I launched in the next few months, and you hit your, your year milestone. By going to that place or being a part of that membership for a certain amount of time, you get an NFT. They're limited, they're exclusive. Maybe having that or a certain number of NFTs for a certain creator or a certain brand allow you access, certain deals, things like that. And because you have an NFT, instead of just having the experience of going to a place or having you know that ticket and that memory or, or really having enjoyed that year. The consumer, and in these cases, the people that have the NFTs, have something that they can then resell. Because yeah, maybe someone's trying to collect all the, the Philip DeFranco or all the Logan Paul NFTs. Maybe it gets them access to things. Maybe it allows them to kind of cut the line because they got into this thing late. They can buy the year membership NFT from someone that is no longer interested. And obviously that's just one example, but that's where I personally get excited about the opportunity here down the road. But yeah, hopefully that helped a little bit if you've had the question. You went away. I know. That's the end. He's he's done talking about it. What did I mean? So that was an yeah. explanation of uh, NFTs. That's sort of like a rehashing of the Wikipedia page, but with specific examples and visuals, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I want to point out um, Yellow Heart. That's where they're saying. Oh, let me. Yellow Heart is where you can get your Kings of Leon album. In 30 minutes. Do you see my screen? Yes. Auction opens at 12 p.m. Eastern. Um, here's the instructions. And it's it's powered by OpenSea, which is one of the... They say OpenSea is one of the marketplaces. That was the second biggest one after the NBA drop shots. Now, let's go to OpenSea <laughs> because when I was doing research on this yesterday, I uh, typed into YouTube NFTs and there were the people on Coinbase, which is a large cryptocurrency website, and it has been for the last 10 years. And they were talking about this one right here, Burnt Banksy. Do you see it? Mm-hmm. So it's at $15,000, 322. These people bought a Banksy. Banksy is a real artist. He's a legitimate street artist. He's one of the most famous artists in the world. His pieces sell for a lot of money. This is a small, mm -hmm. I think it's like an 8 by 10 drawing. Oh, it's a print. Print 325 of 500. A group of investors, I think in New York City, paid $100,000 for this print. And then they took it to a park in New York, and they set it on fire, and they filmed it. And they're selling the video of them setting it on fire as an NFT. Oh, wow. That's what's being sold. It's not the print. So they're banking that the stunt of them taking some famous artist's work and burning it and filming it and then selling that moment as an NFT will earn them back more than the $10,000 they invested. Fascinating, huh? I mean, the $100,000 mm -hmm. they invested. And right now they're at 15% after two days of auction. So I kind of want to follow this just because they might get screwed. But you know what they say in Ireland, God loves a trier. <laughs> That's right. They gave it their, their shot. Yeah, but if they fail, they'll come out on the other side much wiser than when they started 
and that just means they'll try something else that tries to uh, uh, mitigate the reasons this failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very, it's very interesting that what would you do with an NFT of them burning a Banksy? What would you, know? you do with an NFT? Like, that's what uh, Philip DePranko was saying. This the Kings of Leon album. It's coming out when you see yourself. It's coming out in 24 minutes. In 24 minutes, I can go on Spotify.com and listen to it without paying a dime for the NFT. The music right. is not exclusive. The NFT is. And I feel like that's hard for people to wrap their heads around. Yep. And it's hard. It's going to gonna be, it, it's gonna be hard for older people to wrap their heads around. But I think for the younger people, they'll they'll get it. That that they'll understand that much better than older people, because the older the older generations they'll think, uh, I got to have it in my hand. Mm-hmm. I want it in my hand. I got to go there and talk to them face to face. You know, the digital stuff is it doesn't have as much value to an older person than a younger person, and so uh, the younger people. This is a younger generation, and uh, this stuff is is going to take off and. And it's going to change. The, the, the fascinating thing to me is that it, it is an NFT, the way it's being used now, is it going to be the same uh, 10 years from now, five years from now? I don't think and so. And it's going so fast. It's going to be the same one year from now. Like um, the digital assets and games. So I got a confession to make. You know this, but the listeners may not. I got into Fortnite during the Fortnite boom. And I still play about one game a day, uh, probably about an hour a week or so. Um, but at the height of it, I was playing about an hour a day. I was playing too much. But um, I also got into watching the streams. There was this guy, Ninja, and he blew up. And he was the biggest streamer in the world for a while. I watched his stream. And then I got into the competitive scene. And they would do these things called, well, they did the World Cup first. And I watched the World Cup, and it was entertaining. And then they would do these things called Fortnite Championship Series. And that was, they'd take the best players from every region, they'd have them compete over a series of weeks. And so anyone could play in them. If you were me, and I'm terrible at the game because I'm old and I'm slow and I have bad aim and I'm not good at building. But if I worked hard enough and got enough points, I could get into the qualifier tournaments. And then they sort of, from the... 30,000 or 50,000 people that qualify for the qualify tournaments, they meet that down to uh, 2,000 on one weekend. And then it goes down to a couple hundred. And then on the finals weekend, it's just one lobby of 100 players fighting it out. And whoever gets the most points in the finals, they win the Fortnite Championship Series. And there's money involved. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars to the winner. But what else, what else you get is in the game you have to pickaxe. They call it Fortnite because you build forts. So you pickaxe your environment. Well, you get a -a one-of-a-kind pickaxe that is only available to individuals that have won the Fortnite Championship Series. So eight regions, and they've held four of them. There's uh, 32 people in this world, or 32, sometimes there were teams, but there's just 32 entities available in this world that have access to that pickaxe. So if you're in the game and you see someone coming at you and they're holding that pickaxe, you say, whoa, this guy won a Fortnite championship series and no one else can get that. I think that's what they're saying with digital gaming assets. And the fascinating thing for me is when I got into it, I realized a lot of these young people, and I think even more so with the pandemic, their environment and their world is more digital than physical. So their desire to have digital assets is actually stronger than to have physical assets. Like if you have an iPad and that's what you play your games on, that's what you do everything in the world on, watch your movies, like you would rather have assets in that iPad or in the digital realm than in the real world because you spend all day on your iPad anyway. It's like it's like the military. You know, you'll have your uniform, you'll have your your insignia, you'll have your rank, You'll have your medals, okay? Uh, you don't come out with a fake rank. You don't come out with a fake medal or a fake uh, 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 
uh, your 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 unit. You don't mm-hmm. you don't come out with a fake because if you do, boom, in that environment, uh, you, you you'll be court-martialed. Okay, okay. But does that mean someone else who's not in the military could also wear that? Of course they could. Uh, they don't like it, but they could. But the point what I'm getting at is that within the military, there are strict rules that people live by. And within the digital realm, there are rules that people are going to abide by. That's, isn't that what you're saying? Yes. And there's, a, I think there's, I, I've heard of this called the Stolen Valor Project. It's a guy that has a nonprofit that... Uh, he finds military imposters. And what, it, what mm. it is, is people like on the internet saying like, oh, I'm a Marine drill sergeant, you know, take my course in self-defense. And someone looks into it and it's like, this guy was never even in the service. Like you should not right. be able to trade on that if you did not serve. And so there are people out there that they have stolen valor nonprofits. Now, what if, by virtue of being in the military, you get a an NFT for being a private first class. You get an NFT for being a, a second lieutenant. You get an NFT for being a brigadier general. That would be fascinating. It would be. It would be. And, uh, and it's on an uh, open yeah, blockchain. Uh, on an open blockchain where you can, if someone makes that claim, you can go and take a look at the blockchain as a ledger of events and see, oh, yeah, he was issued that. That's fascinating, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because the whole, I, the whole uh, one significant value of a blockchain is security. You, you can't put fake things on there. And, it, it won't. They won't take it. And you could, it. you could write into the contract when you issue someone that coin, that token. It's non-transferable. So you were in the army. You were an officer, a second lieutenant. You can't give me. Your NFT, because I never served, right. and that makes sense, right? And that's the thing about these that's smart right. contracts on the Ethereum blockchain. And that's one thing. If if we were going to get into this as a business, I think one thing to learn would be about smart contracts. And uh, and on the Ethereum blockchain, there's a programming language that allows you to interface with a blockchain called solidity and it's a little bit like javascript i think so i think that learning about smart contracts and learning about the solidity programming language that would be two great Uh places to start to understand exactly how the blockchain works and i watch some programming channels because i do some programming and one great piece of advice that this programming YouTuber gave is you got to start building stuff. You can't just keep taking tutorials because then all you'll know how to do is complete the steps of a tutorial. What you got to do is sit there in front of a project and say, I want to get, I want to build this. And then you work until you have built something that sort of looks like that. And then the next time you try to build something like that, it'll look even more like that. And then you'll get to the point where you're so good that you'll say, I want to build this, and you'll be able to program it, and you'll have features that weren't even in your initial conception because you're so good at programming. Um, And you'll start to, like, that's the only way to do things. And that's, like, in music, when I play with people, a lot of times, if they're at a lower skill level, I just proceed as if I expect them to be at a higher skill level. And then they don't have time to say, oh, what, what's this note? What's that note? It's like, just keep up. Either keep up or fall behind. And it makes them a better player. Because they'll learn that it's a lot of it is about confidence. The confidence to just go forward and do it. That's probably the best advice anyone can give anyone. Uh, I, I, and I do the same thing. I, I tell my students the same thing. Uh, and I say, okay, just do it, and I'll help you do it, as long as you get through it one way or the other. Having gone through it, you've seen uh, whether it's right or not. You've seen how to do it, mm-hmm. and so the knowledge is one thing, and the knowledge and the skill is one thing. But having gone through it over and over again, you begin to own that knowledge and own that skill, and then 
your 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 intelligence then will expand to say, what are the possibilities of this? And there's where you go to the different levels of intelligence where you say, oh, I see what it means. I see how to do it. And now I can see where it goes. And you start modifying it and you expand uh, the applicability. So the best way to learn this stuff, just like you said, I wholeheartedly agree, is just is just do it. Uh, if you want to learn this, <laughs> uh, it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of effort. Uh, so you, you pick... Uh, Choose your direction and choose your uh, pony wisely because mm -hmm. it's going to, no matter how smart you are, no matter what you do, it's going to take a lot of time and effort and, and, and blood, sweat and tears, no matter what it is, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of work. Well, I mean, as long as we're talking about NFTs and digital art, I think that's, that's a good advice because I think of Pablo Picasso as an artist, he would wake up at 11 a.m. every morning and he'd spend the first three hours of his day relaxing and talking with friends. So you have these people that are like productivity gurus that are like, wake up at 5 a.m. and run six miles and then eat, you know, a series of nutritional powders that I'm selling you and do 100 sit-ups, don't drink coffee, you know, and it's like, and then, you know, well, Pablo Picasso would sleep till 11 every day and he'd spend the first three hours of his day uh, hanging out with his friends. Then around 2 p.m., he would paint for three hours. And then he would take a break. He would hang out with his friends and eat dinner. And then around 8 or 9 p.m., he would paint until 2 or 3 in the morning. And he loved painting so much that all he wanted to do was hang out with his friends and paint. And that was his schedule. And that's why there are tens of thousands of Picassos out there because he spent his entire adult life painting for six to eight hours a day. And they said the day he died, he died in the morning and he was found dead in his bed. And he had spent the last evening from 10 in the evening until three in the morning painting. So he painted up until hours before he died. That means, I think that means he was doing something he loved. No one was telling him, right. you got to go paint. He wanted to paint. And I think that joy and that passion was communicated through his works. So if you're going to do something, you should be passionate about it. I think that's, that's the point you were making. And I was just giving a story to sort of back it up. It's a great story. That's a very good point. That's, that's even, that's good. <clears throat> and uh, so... The guy that the the clip, what was that guy's name that you showed on the on the YouTube? What was his name? Philip DeFranco. He's just a, a news guy on YouTube. He does the news every weekday. We talked about this last night. He talks so fast. Mm -hmm. These, it's it's kind of like, you know, oh man, you're talking fast. Yeah, I have to listen really carefully. Get all those words. You, you take a sentence and you cram it into, into like three seconds. You go, I can listen that fast. But I don't have time to think about it, and so uh, to me, it's 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 just. Of course, at my age, I I analyze things, but it's just a little disruptive. It's just I like our pace. Well, I, our pace is good, and I think a lot of people like podcasts because it's at a leisurely pace. With YouTube, of course, this is on YouTube, but with YouTube, I think they've discovered any pregnant pauses, any time spent sort of cogitating or you know, chewing your thoughts. Like, like me saying, any time spent, you know, it gives the person an opportunity to click on another video. Right. If you give any, so the, the information, like with Philip DeFranco, he machine guns it at you. And the reason why is because unless you're actively paying attention, you're not going to get what you want out of the video. But if it's slower, you're going to say, I'm bored, and you'll click away. And it's just, it's sort of the medium determining the style. He doesn't want anyone to click away. He wants them to stay until he starts reading ads. So he gives them information where it's like, you can't click away because you have to pay attention to get all this information that I'm giving you in a rapid fire format. Well, there's another element that I always find when I hear people talk fast, uh, I get annoyed. Like, <laughs> what are they, they're trying to pull something over my eyes. They're trying to fast talk me into something. I don't, I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now maybe that's my age, but hey, th this 
you know, this guy's talking too fast. I don't, I don't, don't like this at all. Yeah. You know, he's, he's forcing you down this rabbit hole. So he's dragging you down this, this, this mine shaft. Like, wait a minute. Uh, I'll go there if I want to go there. And it makes me uneasy. Well, it's sort of like, I think the 15 minutes or 13 minutes of Philip DeFranco's show is a lot like the 20 minutes of your evening newscast that's interspersed with 10 minutes of ads. So he's going at not 2x speed, but probably 1.5x speed. Does that make sense? Yeah. He's yeah. making 20 minutes 15. Yep. And But anyway, getting back to NFTs, the uh, it is it is it's something that's going to continue to grow. Mhm. Mm uh, and I actually uh, it's going to my experience in the real world is that it's going to grow. It's not going away, but it's not going to be the same. Things always change uh, as they as they grow. And so uh, getting back to your very good point, David, uh, it, it's going to change. But the best way to take advantage of anything is to be right in the middle of it, doing it and change with it. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing it, uh, you're see it, seeing it change and be flexible and change with it. Today, because of the digitization of information uh, and products now, and NFT is a product, um, it's a digital product, uh, it's an ownership of other things. Anyway, what's happening today, you've got you to gotta be involved in it, mm -hmm. and you've got to change with it, be very, very flexible with it. Now, historically, uh, the, oh, you know, the theory is you have to be flexible uh, when things begin to change. But things would change over three to five years. Yes. Now they're changing over three to five days or three to five weeks. Uh, and so you have to be flexible, much more uh, uh, responsive to these changes. And so I, I think, so the question is, where is NFT going? Where is it now? If you're getting on board, what? how do you do that? And then uh, who knows where it's going, but you need to go with it. Yeah. If, I, if, if you have a passion in doing that. I think that this is my back-of-the-envelope calculation. I think okay. certificates of authenticity in the future, they'll be issued on the blockchain. And they'll be NFTs. So this is a game-worn Mike Trout jersey from 2021 signed by Mike Trout. And instead of getting a certificate that comes with it, or you might get a certificate too, but your verifiable ability to prove that it's real is the Washington Nationals. I don't even know if he's still with the Washington Nationals, but whatever. Some organization gives you an NFT that says, we're going to send you this gift and digitally we'll send you an NFT that can live online. And no matter where you go, you can prove that this is a Mike Trout game worn jersey because you have the NFT that comes with it. And no one will ever accuse you of forging. Of course, you could forge it and try to present a forgery with the NFT. I don't know. I think that. But you go to the block. You go to blockchain and vet it out very quickly. Mm -hmm. So the question is: the question is, uh, let's say the a physical the the, the jersey. Uh, you you can sell NFTs for that. Let's say you sell sell ten of them. Mm -hmm. uh, she says, well, "Where is a jersey?" He says, "I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what's that." Uh, but I have an ownership of it. I do own it. Uh, so you can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, how is that different than like uh, people selling uh, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City back in the 30s? He says, you see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so you have, says they, they would sell, they'd say, oh, uh, let me sell you the Brooklyn. I'll sell you my ownership in the Brooklyn Bridge. Basically, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And a quick claim deed, you know, you have a quick, you have a deed to this. But, but the quick claim deed says, my ownership or my, my interest in this, I'm selling to you. Yeah. And I had none, and so I'm selling you nothing. Uh, but then again, to me, it seems like similar. Uh, but it's not. But those kinds of things need to be explained. <laughs> yeah. Because so the physical jersey... Who knows where it's at? I don't know. But I have ownership of it, you know? Yeah. 
So here's um, the crypto kicks that we were talking about. Yeah. Nike has a patent to issue non-fungible tokens linking the shoe to the Ethereum blockchain. When a consumer buys a genuine pair of shoes, a digital representation of a shoe may be generated linked with the consumer and assigned a cryptographic token, where a digital shoe and cryptographic token collectively represent a crypto kick. So here's my question. Do you you understand that? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. You lose the shoes, or the shoes get worn out, or the shoes get destroyed in a fire. Does the token have value at that point? Seems to me it does. It does. Uh, whether the shoes exist or not, that token has its own value. Mm-hmm. It has a life unto itself. Because you say, I owned one once. You did? I have an NFT. Yeah. I have a token. I owned one once. Yep. So people, like, like again, the old snake oil salesman or the, or the elixir salesman of the, of the 1800s, they go around on their little... The wagon say, you know, this this right here will cure all ails. This will this will this kind of thing, and so they go, oh okay. It says no, it doesn't, and it says yeah, it does, and so they'll get out of town before they get. But now, uh, you can validate that if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. It says yeah, this will cure all. Oh, does it? Where's your NFT? Okay, so that NFT is a validation that that did exist, that does exist. It's it's it uh, because it was it was awarded on the blockchain. Those blockchains again have the security issue, uh, element to it. This is my Mi- issue, though, that I'm seeing. There's a patent involved. Do you see this? Mm-hmm. Nike's patenting selling shoes with an NFT. That's like Sotheby's patenting selling a collectible with an NFT, or Christie's patenting selling a work of art with an NFT. And then Lloyd's of London wants to sell a work of art with an NFT. You have to pay us for our patent. That doesn't seem right. No, but no, but look what that. Let's go back. Bring that back up again, David. Look what that is saying. Is that Nike? The tokens will utilize non-fungible token. They just received a patent to tokenize shoes. There you go. So they can not only sell the shoe, they can sell the token. Those are two. Those are two different things. They're connected, but they're different. So Nike has a patent to sell tokens. To tokenize shoes specifically. To to tokenize the shoes, and sell tokens on the shoes. See see what I'm getting at? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, were they granted this patent by the Patent and Trademark Office because they're a shoe manufacturer? Or can I apply for patents to tokenize stamps and ancient coins and ancient currency and books and trading cards and anything else that anyone might collect, records, and say, I am going to be the authority. I want the patent to tokenize old records. And I should get it because it was my idea. Or did Nike get the patent because they manufacture shoes? Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Which begs the question, could you, could David, grandson of Sequoia, apply for a patent to tokenize Nike shoes? But it sounds like the patent that Nike was issued was to tokenize shoes, not to tokenize Nike shoes. That's true. So they moved fast. So if Reebok wants to sell an NFT with their exclusive shoes, if Adidas wants to sell an NFT, will Nike say, you have to pay us a licensing fee for our patent? And is that fair? And if they're going to start issuing patents to anyone, is the play to make from a business standpoint, go out there and try to get a patent on things people collect? Trading cards. Or or get a patent on assigning NFTs to musical albums. <laughs> so so and so spent, you know, you know you know this, I don't know it, but someone spent all this money uh, to own all the Beatles albums. Mm-hmm. 
but then the sons of Sequoia come along and apply and get a patent to sell tokens of the ownership of the Beatle albums. Yeah. So we're not selling the ownership, we're selling tokens of authentication of the ownership of the the uh, the Beatles albums or this album or that album or now, something or something. The catalog is different from the album. So owning the catalog, you know, Michael Jackson bought the Beatles songs back in the eighties under from under Paul McCartney, and it was a big thing. That's that's the, what I was thinking. That's yeah. the copyrights. Now the artist retains copyright when he sells a token. Selling a token like Kings of Leon is doing is what it is is basically like selling you the album, you know, with the cardboard and the 12-inch disc and the liner notes. When you buy an album from a record store, a record, and it's 12 inches, it's an LP, it runs at 33 and a third, it's got this big cardboard sleeve, and there's art on the sleeve, and there's an insert that you pull out and you read the lyrics, you paid for that. And you paid and you own that. You own that album. But you don't own the music. When you sell a token, it's like selling an individual album to someone. You paid for that and you own that. You own that digital asset, but you don't own the music. And it's hard for people to wrap their heads around because I go to Spotify.com. I'm not logged in on this browser, but I go to Spotify.com. And I log in and I look for Kings of Leon and that album you just paid 50 bucks for is there and I can listen to it and I can see the album artwork. And you say, what's the point of paying 50 bucks? And it's like, well, I don't own it. I'm accessing it through Spotify. So the streaming services, and we know this by virtue of having bought some stuff off of Amazon. You know, we bought Forrest Gump on your birthday and watched it. And it's like, because Forrest Gump wasn't on a streaming service, well, the streaming services can give and take away. It's, streaming services are like a library that you pay for. You just lending, they're just lending you the right to watch it. You don't own it. With an NFT, you do own it. It's, it's fascinating, the, the concept of, like if you subscribe to Amazon Prime, and Forrest Gump is available on there, and you watch it. And you're like, oh, great. Let's watch Forrest Gump again. Six months later, it may not be available on there as, as a free streaming as part of your service. See what I'm saying? Yes. What I'm saying is you can apply for a patent to award tokens. So how does that figure into the, to the equation? So one is... So, the Sons of Leon, is that who King, they are? Kings of Leon. The Kings of Leon, so they sell NFTs. Uh-huh. Right? Of their album. Of their album. So, they're selling it. Do they have a patent to sell it? No. Could, could someone else get a patent to sell their tokens? And then they can't sell it. To say, like, if Nike can get a patent... To tokenize shoes. Yes. Can someone get a patent to tokenize, to tokenize music. music? And then say, Kings of Leon, how much money did you make on your token scheme? You owe me a patent licensing fee. Well, of course, exactly. it, if they have the patent, yes. That's what the scary thing about tokenizing shoes. That's what I'm saying. Adidas, Reebok, they can't tokenize shoes now because Nike has the patent? That doesn't make sense to so me. I'm getting, so I'm getting it. You have you have the ownership, you have the use, you have the token, and then you have the patent mm -hmm. to award tokens. Now, is the real money common. in the patent? You know, is Nike going all in on this not because they think people will buy the crypto kicks? You know, they're like, oh well, people, our shoes are already the most collectible sneakers in the world, Nike. But we are going to associate them with. A patent, I mean, with a token and call it a crypto kick, but that's not the play. The play is by being the first mover in this field, by being the first one to associate an NFT with shoes, we can say we're an industry leader 
and we've developed this methodology of authentic, uh, verifying the authenticity of shoes. Therefore, we want a business process patent for that, for all shoes. And then when Reebok and Adidas realize, you know, the authenticity of our collectible shoes would be better served by a non-fungible token, and they try to do it, is that your smoke alarm? Oh my goodness. It's my uh, power supply. Oh no, I hope you don't go out. I'm yeah, gonna mute too. I'm gonna mute you for a second. Can you mute uh can you mute yourself? Okay, so we're gonna wrap up here in a second. Wow, I hope that your power doesn't go out. Is your power's on though? fascinating so yeah there's a lot to unpack here we've talked about nfts for about an hour and uh should we wrap up before you you die your power dies um so if you want to unmute and say something i'll play the outro music we might be get, getting back to this discussion more and more don't you think i think we need to talk about it again next week because uh, we brought up some new some new concepts uh-huh um so I'll play the outro music. If you want to say something, we'll uh, quit this, and then I'll give you a call, and we can debrief after the episode's over. Sound good? Sounds good. Hey, everybody, keep on talking, but listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other people are saying. Bye. See you next time. <laughs>